You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. It's now been four and a half years since the night of March 2nd, 2016, when Berta Caceres was shot dead in the bedroom of her house. Four and a half years of frustrations, secrets, and revelations. First, there was the survivor, the witness that the assassins failed to kill in Berta's guest bedroom. Then there were the false leads, allegations of a cover-up, and surprise raids. After all of that, investigators pieced together a murder plot that pointed the finger at the hydroelectric company that Berta had opposed. This led to seven murder convictions, but a critical piece of this story remains unresolved. David Castillo, the CEO of DESA, was arrested in 2018 for plotting Berta's death. And since then, his case has been in limbo. All the while, a clock has been ticking. Under Honduran law, a person can be held in custody without going to trial for only two and a half years. And David's time in prison expires on September 2nd, 2020. It's now late August, with just two weeks to go before that day arrives. And Berta's family is growing very worried. They say David's legal team is trying to run out that clock. Berta's older brother, Gustavo, tells a Honduran television show that if David goes free, the family's hopes of finding some measure of justice will slip away too. We're asking the court, let's go immediately with the public trial. They can try and show his innocence and show that he didn't participate and show that he didn't threaten Berta Cáceres. That's fine. Again, they can make whatever case they want. But we are prepared to show that David Castillo is guilty after all the evidence that's been submitted to the public ministry and submitted to the court. That same day, the Honduran Supreme Court makes a startling announcement 
After more than a year of appeals and postponements, it decides to remove the judge who'd overseen the case from the beginning. Berta's family is shocked. They see this change as a last-minute delay tactic, something to make sure no trial could be set before time runs out. They fear the Supreme Court itself is sabotaging the case. The court doesn't give a reason for the change, and both sides seem a little baffled by it. The dismissed judge had allowed the case to drag on with little action. Some of David's supporters worry the court has bowed to pressure to schedule a trial, no matter what. Berta's family fears that it's a delay tactic, something to make sure no trial can be set before time runs out. They worry that the justice system has been fixed, and they plead for action. Today, the court has to demonstrate that no longer will people be set free because of their connections or because of the influence of powerful people in this country. This idea that powerful, well-connected people might be intervening on David's behalf has become a theme throughout this case. As David has waited for a trial to be set, researchers with several nonprofit organizations, as well as an international anti-corruption panel, have dug into his company, DESA. They say they've unearthed a history of corruption, the kind made possible by connections deep into Honduran government agencies. And lawyers representing Berta's family argue that it was this system of corruption that had her killed. This is another reason they want David's murder case to go to trial. They hope to present some of this evidence in court. Victor Fernandez is a lawyer representing Berta's family. This is from an August radio interview. You can see there's a criminal structure that's linked to the highest levels of executive power. He says putting David on trial would be an unprecedented blow against a culture of impunity that has reigned in Honduras for years. Impunity that he says originates with an elite group of politically and economically powerful people. He says they want to protect David because that's how they can protect themselves. This group of uh, economic powers was able to be a part of this whole criminal dynamic. And it started with the creation of the Aguasarca project and extended all the way through Berta's assassination and the other crimes committed along the way. So the tentacles go up to this level. To Berta's supporters, simply setting a trial date has become a critical test of a country and of its entire system of justice. Honduras has never tackled a murder case like this one. Most homicide investigations are never closed, and few result in arrests. Maybe the gunman might go to jail, but those who might have given the orders almost never do. Berta's family and their lawyers want to face David in court because there 
They hope to expose and dismantle a way of doing business that they describe as murderous. My name is Monty Real for Bloomberg Green, and this is Blood River. success when you see it or you think you do the people in the spotlight athletes actors artists but what about the people behind the scenes you know the ones who make it all happen the lighting engineers the sideline photographers the caterers they're small business masterminds and if there's one thing they have in common it's making their money work harder that's why they have a business bank account with quickbooks money where they are now earning a generous five percent annual percentage yield Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. In 2016, Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez faced calls for his resignation. More than $355 million had been embezzled from the country's social security program. And some of that money had ended up in the president's campaign chest. Under pressure, President Hernandez agreed to let an international anti-corruption panel come to Honduras. It would be overseen by the Organization of American States. It's sort of like the United Nations for the Western Hemisphere. That anti-corruption panel backed numerous investigations that uncovered evidence of rampant government-led graft and lawlessness. One investigation charged a former first lady of Honduras with embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was convicted and sentenced to 58 years in prison. But now she's no longer in custody for the same reason that Berta's family fears David could be released. This summer, her conviction was annulled because of procedural problems. Her new trial date hasn't yet been set, but she's already been in custody longer than Honduran authorities can hold her. So she's free for now. But that's not the most important connection between David and that anti-corruption panel. Last year in Tegucigalpa, the panel's members gathered to announce some news. 
Señores periodistas, tengan ustedes muy buenos días. Muchas gracias, Rigoberto. The members of the panel revealed that its most recent investigation was called Fraud on the Gualcarque. It's centered on Dessa and the Aguazarca Dam. Ana Maria Calderón, a former prosecutor from Peru, said the group had looked into the business dealings behind the hydroelectric project and had uncovered a wide range of crimes. They accused David Castillo and 15 others, including government officials, of launching a project that was rotten from the very start. The alleged crimes included fraud, abuse of authority, and falsification of documents. Calderon said DESA was founded in 2009 by two brothers who seemingly weren't involved in the company's daily operations. At that time, David Castillo was working for the Honduran government-run electrical utility. He wouldn't join DESA until 2011. But the investigators said David was pulling the strings at DESA from day one. They said the two brothers behind DESA were actually low-level employees who worked for David at a computer company he founded a couple years earlier. They said one brother had worked as a driver there. So, the investigators allege that David was the de facto head of DESA while he was working for the state electrical utility. And this, they said, was the same time when the state utility signed its agreement with DESA to purchase electricity from the proposed Awazarka Dam. In other words, the investigators say David was playing both sides when the Awazarka project's approvals and contracts were drawn up. They say he effectively rigged the process, making sure DESA could sell electricity to the government at inflated prices. In addition to David, several senior officials with the Honduran Environmental Agency faced charges. When announcing the case last year, the anti-corruption panel suggested a comprehensive review of the electrical utilities contracts. Calderon further warned that all government agreements tied to renewable energy sources might have been compromised. But in early 2020, President Hernandez effectively shut down the anti-corruption group. The president's critics suspect that was because anti-corruption investigations have not been kind to the president in recent months. Last October, Tony Hernandez, the president's brother, was put on trial in a New York courtroom. U.S. prosecutors accuse Hernandez of helping smuggle almost 220 tons of cocaine into the United States while enjoying the protection of his brother, President Juan Orlando Hernandez. Tony Hernandez was found guilty, and the president was named as an indicted co-conspirator. He's denied involvement. Prosecutors alleged that drug profits were funneled into the president's campaign, that the president helped secure drug routes, and the cooperation of the Honduran police and its military. The court essentially ruled that Honduras is a narco state. 
But even though the anti-corruption panel was dissolved this year, its case against David and the others didn't die. It was passed on to another group of prosecutors inside Honduras. David is fighting the charges. He says they're baseless. Another attempt to smear him and his company. Several of the former public officials named in the case filed appeals for dismissal. This month, those requests were denied. But it remains uncertain whether any of the information from that corruption probe will actually surface in the separate murder case against David. The only way that would happen is if prosecutors charged David with something called illicit association. This is a legal term used to describe a group of people who have come together for one underlying reason, to commit crimes. Annie Bird is a Washington, D.C.-based human rights activist who's been investigating the Awazarka Project since 2013. She says that in this case, the criminal group would be the DESA executives. And she says the crimes would include all of the violations the anti-corruption panel highlighted as the company pursued the dam. Essentially, they're breaking so many laws in the process of trying to get it implemented that it's a, it's a criminal enterprise. She and others have been trying to convince Honduran prosecutors to include illicit association charges in David's murder case. Those efforts haven't worked. And she believes that's because the state is afraid to go after those at the very top of DESA's corporate pyramid, its investors. From the beginning, what we've seen is the tendency to protect the hires up from prosecution. While David Castillo has awaited trial, Berta's family and Copine have very publicly been going after Dessa's investors, in court and out of it. The Awazarka project cost about $64 million, and its funding came from two principal sources. First was international development banks. Second was a family of private investors inside Honduras. Roughly $40 million for the project came from three different development banks. They included one from Honduras, one from Finland, and one from the Netherlands, named FMO. Berta had publicly criticized all of those banks, and she fought to get them to withdraw funds from the project. She believed that DESA violated the human rights of the community members near the Gualcarque River, and she thought the banks were complicit by giving money to the company. Berta and others in Copin reached out to Hannah Samkalden, a Dutch human rights lawyer. They wanted to force FMO to stop their involvement in the Aguazarca project. Berta wasn't able to follow through, but after she was murdered, her colleagues in Copin called Samkalden again. And in 2018, they filed suit against FMO. That case alleges that the bank had ignored the reports of human rights violations 
that Berta herself had filed. The idea of the lawsuit has been to establish that FMO shouldn't have gotten involved in the project in the first place. And when they made the decision to support the project and they did get involved after all, uh, they should have properly monitored and tried to um, use their influence to uh, prevent further human rights violations locally. In other words, they're arguing that FMO was negligent. She says if the bank had seriously investigated the complaints of human rights violations by DESA, then they certainly wouldn't have backed the project. She says the bank's negligence was a contributing factor to Berta's death. It's been a particular issue, indeed, that had FMO taken adequate actions timely, then her death probably would not have occurred. FMO denies wrongdoing. A spokesperson for the bank declined to comment on the suit, but directed me to nearly two dozen documents the bank has released related to the case. These include summaries of the fact-finding trips where the bank sent delegations to Rio Blanco. These were thorough reviews, the bank says, and they didn't reveal a history of abuses. The Dutch bank, along with those from Finland and Honduras, pulled out of the Awazarka project after Berta's murder. David Castillo says FMO and the other banks forgave DESA and its shareholders all of their debt to them. The loans from the share, to the shareholders and to the Awazarka project were erased. Now, they don't have to be paid back because the financial institutions behind it, they know that there was no wrongdoing from the shareholders. Maybe the banks had forgiven the shareholders, but Berta's family and their lawyers have not. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. We met David Castillo around uh, maybe 2010, and uh, he was looking for investors in his project. This is Daniel Atala. He and his family own a number of businesses throughout Honduras and provide financial backing for even more. As, as an investor group, we saw the potential in, in an individual like David Castillo. We really liked his, his curriculum, his, uh, his profile. We thought that it was going to be a good investment at that moment. Danielle would become Dessa's chief financial officer. His father, Jose Eduardo Atala Zabla, is a board member and also a shareholder, as are two of Danielle's uncles. In Honduras, some people like to say that a small number of wealthy families really control the country. It's impossible to prove, but a lot of people believe it. Many of Berta's supporters think that the Atala Zablas are one of those families. I met them in the offices of a John Deere dealership they own in Tegucigalpa. The room was full of trophies from the soccer club Motagua, one of the country's most popular teams. Jose Eduardo is the executive president of that team. He also served as the president of the Honduran American Chamber of Commerce, and he was a past board member of that same Honduras-based development bank that partly financed the Awazarka project. He had left that position years before DESA was formed. But both he and Danielle bristle at the idea that the family enjoys any political influence, much less runs the country. We don't have private jets. We don't have... uh helicopters. We don't have nothing. I have the same car during the last eight years. Not, not the wealthiest family in the country by, by far. We have, you know, a strong investment group, but it's, we, we don't have the lobbying capacity. We don't have the fund capacity. We don't have the funding capacity. We, we are, it's uh, extremely limited and we, and, and, and the investment that we have lost has, you know, made a big dent in, in, our, in our finances. But they say they risk losing even more, their good name. These days, if you drive around La Esperanza, you don't have to look too hard to find the Atala name. It's spray-painted on walls all over town, often next to words like assassins. At Copine rallies now, there are almost always banners that say the members of the family should be in jail. One reason behind that anger has to do with the text messages that are being used against David Castillo. The Atala Zablas participated in some of those message strings. When the conflict with Copin started in 2013, Danielle used racial slurs to describe the protesters and questioned the legitimacy of their indigenous identity. In another text exchange from 2013, 
Danielle references Berta and two other Copine activists who were charged by police for inciting unrest in Rio Blanco. He wrote, quote, It cost a lot of money and political capital to get these three arrest warrants. Daniel says he was talking about spending money on lawyers to pursue legal action against Copine. We don't, we don't really have any political capital to spend. We just, I don't know. It was, it wasn't, it was like a off-base comment and didn't really mean a lot. What I really wanted to emphasize was that we were spending a lot of money on it and we were not sure it was going to work and it really wasn't in the budget. And uh, I had to do a lot of convincing with within the board uh, to 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 acquire the funds for for that uh, for that you know legal legal expenditure there are other messages in october 2015 there was one from daniel's uncle that seemed to be referencing protesters from copine he wrote let's send a message that nothing will be easy for those sobs And then there was another, sent after Berta's murder, where Danielle wrote that the Honduran security minister had reported that the murder was being pursued as a lío de faldas, or a skirt problem. That is, that it was a crime related to a love affair. Copin's lawyers say this is evidence that the Atala Zabla family was in close contact with senior Honduran authorities. Danielle and Jose Eduardo say this isn't true. So, we yeah, well, that was public. I mean, that uh, that's not uh, that wasn't you know privileged information. That, privileged was, that information. was public. That was that the, was public, and uh, that's what what everybody was saying. That was like the initial uh, theory in the news and everything. These and other messages have put a target on the backs of the Atala Zablas. That was Berta's oldest daughter, Olivia, leading a chant at a press conference in 2019. She was calling out the Atala Zabla family by name, labeling them assassins. She said they were the hidden force behind her mother's death. The Atala Zablas say these claims are baseless and dangerous. They generally have the same view of the situation that David has, that Dessa had nothing to do with the murder, that the Awazarka project was accepted by the community, and that the texts have been misinterpreted and mishandled. They emphasize that the courts, in other proceedings related to Berta's murder, have explicitly stated that they've seen no evidence suggesting Dessa, Dessa's employees, or its shareholders financed Berta's murder. The family members suggest they've been the victims of a smear campaign, and they say the international activist groups aligned with Berta have made things worse. It's, it's, it's amazing how they can uh, coordinate all the informations, all the wrong informations, just to make feel like we are the the empire and they are the rebels in the Star Wars saga. 
But Jose Eduardo says if anyone represents Darth Vader's empire in Star Wars, it's those leading the international campaign against the family. Danielle agrees. That is the story that sells. You know, that's the story that people want to hear. They want to hear about how the, you know, poor indigenous communities, uh, you know, stood up to the bad businessmen. They read about, for example, the Berta Caceres Human Rights in Honduras Act. It's a pending bill in the U.S. Congress that references Berta's murder and would withhold military and security aid to Honduras until, quote, perpetrators are brought to justice. And they see images of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi meeting with the Caceres family in Washington and during a trip to Honduras. The Atalazablas say when it comes to political capital and influence, they're the underdogs. This is a message that Dessa has consistently tried to express, that the international activists, not the business interests behind the dam, hold the power. They say international activists and NGOs have more money than they do, and they argue that those interest groups have used Berta's murder to enrich themselves, to exploit a tragedy to raise funds. The activists working for those NGOs shake their heads in disbelief when they hear this. Annie Bird has been one of the most persistent of Dessa's opponents from that community. I spoke to her in the office of her human rights nonprofit in Washington, D.C. It's in a cramped room on the second floor of an old house. The stairs are creaky. The furniture is worn. And there's a malfunctioning burglar alarm that likes to go off at random intervals. If she's well-funded, it doesn't really show. That's the discourse in Honduras, that they, they referred to Berta and Copine as extortionists. It's almost as if they're unable to believe that people could operate for any other motivation than financial. And, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a ridiculous assertion. All of us who have been involved in this work, including Berta, have chosen paths that compensate us in other ways. The quest by the Caceres family's lawyers to go after the money has gone beyond the private investigators and the banks. They're also trying to uncover information about David Castillo's personal finances. Last year, those lawyers filed papers to subpoena bank records of David and his wife, Tanya. The matter is with a court in Mississippi, because that's where the bank that holds the mortgage is based. The lawyers wanted to find out how the couple paid for their $1.6 million house in Houston. They bought it months after Berta's murder. Court records say Berta's family wants to present that financial information to the court in Honduras to, quote, help secure Castillo's conviction. David describes those efforts as a fishing expedition. Just one more way Copine is harassing him and his family. Tanya, David's wife, filed an affidavit last year related to that Mississippi case. She says the money came from companies that David owned. And she stated, David is a loving husband 
and a good father. He worked hard to be a good provider and take care of our family. David this year told me he believes that all of these accusations against him will come to nothing, that he'll be able to walk free and pick up the pieces of the life he was forced to abandon two and a half years ago when he was arrested. I have faith that the day will come in which I will be able to rejoin with my family and I will be able to hug my wife, hug my three beautiful daughters and my mother, and, um, and I will be able to join them. But after the first episodes of this podcast aired, Tanya independently reached out to me, and she painted a picture that was very different from what David told me. In November 2019, Tanya filed for divorce. Her petition cites discord or conflict of personalities. David has resisted her filing. He countered in court, denying Tanya's accusations of discord and demanding proof. He says he and his wife are still working on reconciliation. Tanya says that's not true. She says she's cut all ties to David. She and I never spoke directly, but she sent me a recorded statement. She says she was glad to hear we were making this show and investigating Berta's murder case. She deserves justice. Cases of violence against women in Honduras occur far too often, and I as a Honduran woman pray that justice is served for all those involved in this case. As for my relationship with David Castillo, I filed for divorce over eight months ago, on November 15th of 2019, and I've had no involvement with this defense since before that filing. It is important to me that people know this divorce is not a legal strategy of any kind. I left David, we are not in a relationship anymore, and will never be again. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. It's now Wednesday, August 26th exactly a week before David could be released if no trial is set. For procedural reasons, the newly appointed judge must make a decision today on whether or not the case will go forward. It's a tense day. On social media, both sides worry that the system is working against them. But the court is silent. Then... Minutes before 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the word comes down. David's case will go to trial. Berta's supporters cheer. Her daughter, Bertita Isabel, writes on Twitter, We did it. Berta's mother, Austra, is with Berta's brother, Gustavo, at home in La Esperanza. They break into tears when they hear the news. I reach them the following morning on a Zoom call. Berta's mother describes the past four and a half years as a tireless fight, one that takes aim against the economic powers that be in Honduras. Powers that she says can no longer resist the will of the people. David's side has condemned the court's actions. They vow to keep fighting and say that all of the 11th hour flurry of activity in the past week seemed to develop under, quote, mysterious circumstances. David's lawyer issued a statement suggesting that U.S. politicians have pressured Honduras for a conviction against David for years. He says those foreign officials have mounted an irresponsible intervention in Honduran judicial affairs. And due process, he says, isn't under pressure just from an outside government. He says that more than 500 NGOs have been harassing the country's courts. It's not hard to imagine why they feel besieged and outnumbered. The groups that have aligned themselves against DESA in this murder case represent a variety of causes, and they're not always unified ones. They include self-described opponents of the Honduran government, as well as prosecutors from inside that government itself. There are groups that campaign against what they label the imperial influence of the United States, and they've been joined by members of the U.S. government. There are church-based organizations, and others that rail against the influence of religious groups in Latin America. In all sorts of matters, these groups might not get along. But in this case, they've been unified by one thing, Berta. Her campaign started as a struggle alongside a small river in Western Honduras against a relatively small hydroelectric dam. Now, 
Her brother says it has become something much larger than that. The struggle our sister undertook crossed the borders of Honduras to Europe, the United States. And for that reason, there's a lot of people in the U.S. who view all of this with concern. It can't be the case that you can get away with killing people for defending natural resources and nature. This gets at an idea that Berta's supporters have embraced. That Berta's message did not die with her, but instead has been amplified. And the small band of protesters that fought alongside her by the river has grown into an international movement. They've turned it into a rallying cry. You hear it at demonstrations, outside of court buildings in Honduras, and even on the radio. They sing, Berta didn't die. She became millions. If you go to the Gualcarque River near Rio Blanco today, you'll find a swift stream twisting through the mountains. You won't see any boat traffic here. Rapids boil over huge boulders. It's very hard to walk along the banks for any length of time. They're too steep. In some places, you might find a suspension bridge dangling from one side to the other. There are gaps in the splintery boards where water shines through underfoot. A short walk from the river, through a small grassy pasture, you'll find Dessa's old worksite. Once, there was a dormitory complex here for the workers. Now, cinder blocks crumble in the sun. Weeds push through wide cracks and cement foundations. Nature seems to be reclaiming the site. The exact date of the trial will likely be set in the coming days. The trial itself might last a couple of weeks. As all of this unfolds in the courtroom, this case will no doubt evolve. And so will this podcast. We'll follow any new turns that arise. Blood River will be back. Blood River is written and reported by me, Monty Real. Topher Forges is our senior producer. Maya Cueva is our associate producer. Our theme was composed and performed by Senya Rubinos. Thanks to Laura Carlson, Magnus Henriksen, Carlos Rodriguez, Bob Blau, Katie Boyce, Aaron Rutkoff, 
Jackie Kessler, Cynthia Hoffman, Randy Shapiro, Jed Sandberg, and Applegate Maps. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. This is the last episode in our season, but be sure to stay subscribed. We'll be back for more episodes as the trial proceeds. If you like our show, please leave us a review. It helps others find us. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.